Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. The last uh, two Sundays and this Sunday um, have been have been kind of a of a series of messages, and we're gonna we're gonna wrap that up uh, this morning. So I, I want to just start with a little bit of review, just really quickly go over what we where we've been together for the last couple of weeks. Remember, we started uh, I think about six weeks ago um, identifying Jesus as the, the biggest troublemaker in the church, that he, he nudges the church in new directions all the time um, and is moving us toward the coming of his kingdom on earth. So a couple of weeks ago, we started with the story of the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the, the real church folk of, of that day, grumbling about the kinds of people who were drawn to Jesus and drawn to his ministry and, and to his teaching. There were a, a couple of lessons that I really want us to go back and just touch very, very quickly from that opening message. Uh, the, the first is that for the Christ follower, there simply is no longer any them in the world. It's not about us and them. You, you have your choice of going with Jesus and realizing that, we, that, that they are all us, they are our brothers and sisters, or you can go with Paul and uh, recognize that we are all them. We have all sinned, we have all come short of God's glory, and I would just suggest that whether the phrase, there is no them, they're all us, or there is no us, we're all them. I would suggest that you just go which, with whichever of those two makes you most uncomfortable. Just, just settle in there and figure out a way to live with the fact that we are all them, or they are all us, one way or the other. The second uh, point that I, I tried to make in that first message is, is that the witness of the church, and by that I, I mean the big church, capital C, but I also mean this church. The witness of this church to the world, to the community, is directly tied to the ability of a diverse community of faith, people who aren't all like each other, to demonstrate the kind of love that Jesus showed to everyone in his body. When Jesus said, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples, and this is how the world will know that God has sent me, the way the world will know that is by the quality of love that you folk have for one another. He was not talking to a homogeneous group. He wasn't talking to 12 folks who were like each other. He was speaking to 12 folks who were as different as they could possibly have been and who had one thing in common. Jesus was the one thing that they had in common. And that was enough. It was enough to bind them together. It was enough for them to love one another and to care for one another. The witness of the church in the world and in the community is dependent largely on how folk out there, those of us who aren't in here yet, how folk out there view a community of people who they cannot figure out how those folks get along 
because they don't look the same, they don't live exactly the same, they don't, oh my goodness, vote the same, and yet they get together and they praise the Lord together and they love each other and they care about each other. Last Sunday, we learned why the church folk, the scribes and the Pharisees, the leaders, we learned why those folks were so unhappy with Jesus. At the base of it, the heart of it, they were unhappy with Jesus because they were afraid. They were afraid of change. They were afraid of the loss of their own influence, power, life, whatever. And they were afraid fundamentally about being found out being exposed for who they really, really were. And the image that I, I hope you carried away from, from that message is the image of the thief on the cross. <laughs> the guy who had, who had nothing going for him, nothing to commend him at all. He was who he was, and who he was wasn't very good. And he's hanging there in front of the Son of God, completely exposed as who he is and he says to Jesus remember me this is who I am and and so last week what I hope Jesus taught us was that we don't need to be afraid of anything we don't need to be afraid of life or death or evil spirits or evil people when Christians are afraid they make bad choices, and when Christians are afraid, they can't live in the world as God's redemptive agents. John, in 1 John, John said, there's no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. That's what John said. Here's what Gene says. Go with what John says, but here's what, here's what Gene says. John said, there's no fear in love for perfect love casts out fear. Gene says, there's no love in fear. For fear makes perfect love perfectly impossible. You, you cannot love what you fear, right? Spiders, not a chance. <laughs> but if when you think about fear, you think about a person or a group of people or a kind of person, you, you, you can't love that person if you're afraid of them. And if you can't love them, you can't lead them into God's, into God's love. Ultimately, there's no room for fear in the life of the Christian because Jesus is alive. Death has been defeated. That would have been a great time for somebody to say amen. Just, just you know, Ultimately, there's no room for fear in the Christian life because Jesus is alive. Jesus is still with us. Sometimes I fear the church gathers together to remember something that happened a long time ago, and, and we forget that it's still happening right here among us. That we don't come together just to remember that once a long time ago, this historic figure walked the earth and had disciples and healed people and taught good stuff and then he went away and now we come back together every week kind of like a spiritual museum to sort of relive the past and remember what was going on when Jesus was here. 
Our hope is not in what happened back then. Our hope is in what's happening right now, the actual, real, living presence of Jesus Christ among us through his Holy Spirit. This is real stuff, folks. Jesus really is present in his body, the church. The actual Holy Spirit really is alive among us and moving in our hearts and leading us into the kingdom. But I'm particularly concerned about these issues because right now, in 2020, we really are living in a time when folks are using fear to push people in directions that they want them to go. Sometimes it's really blatant. If this happens, then it's all over, you know, that fear. Sometimes it's really subtle. If, 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 you, don't, if you don't buy this product, your neighbors won't like you anymore, you know. <laughs> so you need to buy one of those so your neighbors will think you're cool and so you can continue to live in the neighborhood. We live in a day that's motivated a lot by fear. And if fear is motivating the world today, as I think it is often, our world anyway, I wonder what it would be that ought to be motivating the people of God. What is it that ought to be motivating the church? And it's a pretty simple answer. It's faith. Faith is the assurance of things we hope for. It's the evidence of things we don't see. Faith is trust. I like that word trust. I like the word trust better than the word belief. Uh, faith is more than belief. Belief is... Uh, Belief is the idea, I don't have one here to demonstrate this, but belief is the idea that a chair will hold me up when I sit. I believe that chair will hold me up if I sit on it. Trust is sitting on it. You understand? Trust is just going ahead and saying, I'm going to sit here, and, 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 I, and I'm pretty sure I'm not going to wind up on the ground hurting myself. Because I not only believe in the concept of the chair, but I trust in the strength of that chair. And so I'm going to sit on that chair. And the opposite of fear is really just trust. I, I, you sang today, we sang today, one of my favorite hymns, Great is Thy Faithfulness. A faithfulness that enables me to genuinely trust. And, and the word I want to concentrate on this morning is not the word faith or the word trust, but the word I want to concentrate on this morning is where faith and trust take us. That is, into a life of hope. And this morning, I, I'm going to do what I, what I don't usually do, and I have sometimes been critical of other pastors. Can you imagine that? A pastor? Bill, have you, ever, have you ever known a pastor to be critical of other pastors? I can't believe that would ever, that would ever happen. But sometimes I've been, been critical of, of, of folks that just string a whole bunch of verses together. Okay, today I'm going to string a whole bunch of verses together. So if you don't like that, I don't either, except I love these verses. Because what I want to talk about this morning is, is the power of hope. The power of living a life of hope. What hope looks like, what hope calls us to. So let's begin in first, and these are going to come at you pretty quick. I don't know if you have a chance to turn to these or not, but, but uh, let's begin in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 
Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What does it mean to be born again? Well, it means we used to be on our way there and now we're on our way there, right? It means we have trusted in the saving grace of God to forgive our sins and cleanse our hearts and bring us into his family. But Peter takes that a step farther. To be born again for Peter is to be born into a world that is motivated, called on by hope. Ultimately, by eternal hope. By the hope that no matter what happens, by God's faithfulness, we will spend eternity in heaven with the Father. We don't talk about that as much as the church used to, I don't think. It's become more, and we'll get to this part too, it's become sometimes more about the here and now and, and the work of the church in the world, and, and I believe in that stuff, and we're going to talk about that before I let you go to Denny's or wherever it is you're going after church. Is there a Denny's? No. No. Boy, I tell you, I am liking Lewiston better all the time. Um, my wife and I had our very first date at Denny's. It's, no, it's not for those reasons. It's because in Olathe, Kansas, in 1973, the only place open after 6 o'clock at night was Denny's. So that was our very first date. Denny's is very special to us. We have not been back since. Let's see, where in the world where in the world were we going? We've been born again into this life of hope, into this living hope that motivates us, that draws us onward. And that living hope is grounded finally, ultimately, in the belief that this life, this world, this place is not all there is. But we will spend eternity in the presence of Almighty God, our loving Heavenly Father. That's at the very foundation of our hope. The assurance of eternal life in the Father's presence. This inheritance, which, as Peter said, is secure, which nothing can take away, which Paul said, don't worry, there isn't anything at height or depth or anything at all that can separate you from the love of God. We live in that hope. Jesus is alive. Death has been defeated. The Holy Spirit inhabits and energizes his church through the lives of his people. And that kind of hope, friends, changes everything. God has caused us to be born again into a living hope. And the focus of that hope is on the risen Christ, and the foundation for that hope is in the unfailing love of God. Come with me to Paul's letter to the Romans. 
I warned you, there's lots of scriptures. Paul says in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now, in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. Uh-oh, I wish I hadn't read that part. Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character produces hope. And hope does not ever disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's a picture in this passage that has been very helpful to me. Let me go back and cover the first couple of verses again. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. Um, let me see if I can draw a mental picture of a house, a building. The door of that building is faith, and faith is what we walk through to come into the family of God. Paul says the name of the room where we live is grace. We all understand what it was to be saved and to experience and claim the saving grace of God. I wonder if we all understand what it means to live in that grace, to stand in that grace, for that grace to be our living room. And to know that we are covered by the loving, living grace of God. Hope is, and I quote somebody here, wish I'd put it in the notes. <laughs> Hope is the disposition toward the future as a place where God is at work and where life's true meaning will re be revealed. Hope is grounded in our confidence in eternity. But to live in hope is not about living for a different time. It's about living from a different center. Let me say that again. To live in hope is not about living for a different time. It's about living from a different center. You see, hope in eternity calls us into God's redemptive work in the present. Uh, there's a difference between hope and optimism. I, I, used to, I used to collect definitions of optimism and pessimism. I like collections like that because they don't gather dust on the shelf. You just keep them up here and you get them out when you want them. I, I had the great privilege of traveling uh, with uh, university students on mission trips in many different parts of the world. What an exciting opportunity, great thing to do. One of the last trips I took was a trip to Volgograd uh, in southern Russia. I met some wonderful Christian folk there. Uh, one of the young men who, who kind of hosted our team, we were chatting one day, and, and, and somebody said something about optimism and pessimism. And he says, he said, oh, I have, I, have a, I have a Russian definition of optimism and pessimism. Well, I'm, I get out my collection. I collect those. Go ahead. What is that? He said, a pessimist in Russia 
By the way, there is no political intent in this story at all. Just you, you folks that are getting your Russia, just put them back. He said in Russia, a, a, a pessimist is a person who thinks things cannot get any worse than they already are. And an optimist is a person who thinks they can. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> you know, it's one of my favorite definitions. There are others, if you want to hear them later, we'll, we'll talk about that. Christian hope isn't the same as secular optimism. It, it is not the belief that things are going to get better than they are right here, right now. A Christian hope is also not escapism. Uh, I grew up singing, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through, my treasures are laid out somewhere beyond the blue. And a few years ago, I rewrote that little chorus. Turns out this world is my home, I'm not just passing through. The good Lord put me here with things for me to do. Hmm, how about that? Some of you may remember uh, the, the scandal of Christian rock and roll and the name Larry Norman. No? Okay. Ask your grandparents. Larry Norman wrote and sang a song called We're Only Visiting This Planet. There was this hope that before things got really rough, God would rescue his children and take us away from all this stuff because really we were headed someplace else entirely different. And, and yet here we still are. With the hope of eternity and the hope of eternity in the presence of God, but recognizing that that hope is not about ignoring the world we live in today. It's, it's not about ignoring what's going on around us because someday we're not going to be here any longer. It's not about ignoring the pain in the people's lives around us because, you know, because this isn't really our place anyway. You know, God is working in us and has saved us for good works that he has prepared for us to do Christian hope isn't secular optimism, and it isn't escapism. Hope calls us to engage the world in which we live and be a part of God's redemptive work. Hope doesn't depend on the denial of the evil that is in the world. It is a messed up, fallen world. But hope recognizes that God is up to God's neck in the mess working creatively and redemptively to bring about a new good thing. We follow a God who actually redeems actual people in actual time so that they can make an actual difference in the lives of persons touched by God's grace. People who live in hope engage actively in the work of the Spirit. There was, a, there was a fad in the, I think, late 80s, early, mid-90s of people wearing WWJD bracelets. Anybody still have one at home somewhere that you haven't worn in years? Yeah. Confession's good for the soul. 
I, I got that and I wore one and we asked that question and we talked about what it would mean. to. But I've come to believe that we had the wrong initials. Because what would Jesus do? That question, what would Jesus do, kind of implies that, that, that he's not here anymore and our job is to try to figure out if he was here, what he would be up to and then get you know up to that. But Jesus is here through the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit who is an actual, objective, real presence among us. The presence of the Holy Spirit in the church today is not just wishful thinking. Oh, wouldn't it be great if Jesus was here? Oh, what we could do if Jesus was here. Well, guess what? Jesus is here. So maybe we ought to be wearing bracelets that say W-I-J-D. What is Jesus doing in the world? And a person who's drawn into the future by hope is a person who really wants to figure that out, who wants to see where the Spirit is leading, where God is at work in the lives of men and women around us all the time. Where God is at work in the lives of the student we sit next to, though not very close anymore, in school. The person we work next to, the person we live next door to. What is Jesus doing in your world? And as a person of hope, drawn into the present by our belief in where we're headed in the future, God calls us to be a part of that thing he's doing. I love the passage in Isaiah chapter 43 where, where Jesus is speaking to an Israel who is, is stuck in the memory phase. They're remembering the great things God has done. They're remembering the exodus. They're remembering their, their entry into the promised land. They're, they're remembering what great things God has done and, and listen to God speak through the prophet Isaiah. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses. Listen to what the Lord said, who did all those amazing things in your past. Here it is. Forget the former things. Really? Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm going to do a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Christians living lives grounded in hope are always drawn into the next great thing that God is going to be doing in our world, in our community. Never afraid of the downward slide that the world has always seemed to be taking. But always living in hope of the resurrection power of God working today, every day, in the lives of people around us. Next thing. Hope calls unholy people into holy lives. Hope calls unholy people into lives of holy love. Hope calls us into holiness. 1 John 3, how great is the love 
the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But what we do know is that when he appears, we'll be like him, for we will see him as he is. And, and this is why I read all that other stuff, so I could get to this one, so pay attention. Everyone who has this hope purifies themselves because Jesus is pure. Hope calls us to lives of holiness, but it calls unholy people to lives of holiness. One of my, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament is one that we've, we've, we don't realize that it's the same story um, be, because thankfully about a thousand years after the death and resurrection of Christ, a monk with, his time, with time on his hands sat down and put numbers by all the verses in the Bible. You do know, don't you, that when the Gospels were written, there were not numbers, you know, chapters and verses. Now, I'm thankful for numbers because without the numbers, there would be no Bible quizzing, right? <laughs> the problem is sometimes those numbers break up the story. We all know that scripture, don't we? Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions I go to prepare. We've heard that at funerals, right? You know what we don't know? We don't know what came just before that. And here it is. I'm glad you asked. Right before that, Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the upper room. And Peter, impetuous Peter, says, Lord, I don't, I don't care, and this is a slight paraphrase, Lord, I don't care what these other birds do, I am never, ever going to leave you. It's never going to happen. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, really? You know, tomorrow morning before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And we stop there. Don't stop there. The very next thing that Jesus says after tomorrow morning you're going to deny me three times is let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions and I go to prepare a place for you, Peter. You who tomorrow morning before the rooster crows are going to deny me three times, even though in your arrogance you think you're never, ever going to deny me. But don't let your heart be troubled. Because it's not about believing in yourself. It's about believing in me. And if you believe in me, I'm going to make a place for you too, Peter. Sometimes I think we despair of holy living because we look at the distance between where we are and where we think holiness is. And we figure that's got to be for some other saint besides us. And we forget that the one, remember Paul's words, we forget that the one who began a good work in you is going to carry on and complete it until the day of his coming. Hope calls us into a life of holy love of not staying where we are, but of trusting in the unfailing faithfulness of God. Hebrews 10, 
Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let's hold unswervingly, here it comes again, let's hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. 1 Peter 1, Therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Hope calls us into lives of holy love. And, and, and this, finally. Hope, particularly in these days, and, and I want to share a thought that I actually, that, that kind of I had right sitting down there on the front row, so it's not in the, it was just in the hymns and in the prayers. Hope calls us into lives that don't make sense to the world around us. Hope calls us to live in a way that is confusing to the world. You know, it's true that the, that the darker it gets, the more of an impact light makes. Light a candle in this room right now and nothing much changes because there's lots of light here. But put this room in total darkness and light the same candle. And it makes an incredible difference. And, and I was thinking just before coming to the platform this morning that we're entering a time. And I'm, yeah, I'm talking about the next, like, what, 87 days, you know, whatever it is till that day. Um, that we all think is going to change the world. By the way, we just all don't think it's going to change the world in the same way, right? Um, but we're living in a time when everybody is telling us to be afraid. There's no innocent party out there. Everybody is telling us to be afraid. And all of a sudden, I got excited about that. Because in the same way that the darker it is in a room, the more impact one candle makes, in that same way, the more desperately afraid our world is, the more of an incredible impact a life of hope can make. We're coming into a time of incredible opportunity to live lives of hope, to be witnesses of hope. Listen to this from Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. Even if you suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Don't, don't fear their threats, whoever they are, you know. Don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. This is the part I want you to get. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. We have an incredible opportunity in the days of head, ahead to live, to live lives that are very confusing to a frightened world. Uh, you know, 
I've been following your Facebook. No, I'm not talking to anybody in particular here. I, I've been, I've been, I'm not stalking you on Facebook. I promise. I've been following, I've been following your Facebook feed, and I, and I noticed that that everybody is putting scary memes up, and you're just telling me stories about your puppy and your cat. I, I, I've noticed that everybody's telling me how awful things are going to be if this happens or if that happens. And everything I see on your Facebook feed is about how exciting it is to live in the beautiful world that God has made. Everybody else seems to be afraid, and you seem to be so ignorant. <laughs> Why don't you get it? Why don't you understand how afraid you ought to be? You hear what's behind that question? Can you explain to me the hope that is in you? Why are you living a life of hope in these desperate days? When I think we've only got like two more plagues to go in 2020, and we'll have them all, won't we? How, how in the world can you live a life of hope? Oh, I am so glad you asked. I am so glad you asked. First of all, it's because I live in the love and the grace of God who saved me and redeemed me. Second, it's because I have the opportunity to share that love with the people around me. So the question is, Christian friend, is your, is your life currently confusing anyone? Is there anybody out there who, who wonders... What it is you don't know that they know because you just don't seem to be afraid like you ought to be these days. And here's the exciting thing about that. So much of, of, of uh, the recent history of Christian witness, like through the late, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, so much about Christian witness has been about kind of, kind of cold turkey, door-knocking sort of witnessing. You know, go up to somebody on the beach and say, if you were to die tonight, you know where you, you know. So much of that, and, and I know folk have come to the Lord through that, and that's great. I, I praise the Lord for that. But so much of that has been about answering questions that people aren't asking. And, and you see, what Peter is saying is, if, if we live lives drawn on by hope, that's going to confuse people. And, and somebody at work, somebody at school, somebody in your neighborhood is going to say to you, I know you've gone through the same stuff we've gone through. And yet there seems to be something about you that's different. Can you tell me what that is? And, and do you have any idea how much more effective it is to answer a question that somebody's actually asking? <laughs> than to tell them the question they ought to be asking and then answer it for them. The Christian witness is, first of all, the willingness, the readiness to answer that question. What's going on? Why do you have that hope? Ultimately, that hope is grounded in the fact that we believe and trust that Jesus is alive, that death has been defeated, that there's no need to be afraid of anything, that in the words of the 
chorus that the worship team is coming now. There's your hint. <laughs> to lead. It's, it's because he lives that we can face tomorrow. I know that's an old song. Bear with us old folks. Actually, Katie said it was one of her favorite songs. It is the yeah, favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Let's stand and sing that together as they lead.